There are over 500,000 kids in foster care across the United States, and making sure they're well taken care of takes a village. I'm Erin Lindstrom, and this is Foster Care Aware, a production brought to you by Tidewater Friends of Foster Care with support from the Barry Robinson Center. If you've had it on your heart to become a foster parent, volunteer, donor, advocate, or just want to learn more, you're in the right place. For more information on how to move forward, head to fostercareaware.org slash next steps. And now I'm thrilled to share today's segment with you. Hey there, I'm Erin Lindstrom and I am joined by Audra Bullock, the president and director of Tidewater Friends of Foster Care. And from the Children's Trust Fund Alliance, we have Corey Best and Gloria Torma. Corey and Gloria, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me and uh, welcome everybody. My name is Corey Best and uh, my vocation, I like to say, is a family engagement consultant uh, and keynote speaker. Uh, I'm a proud member of the Birth Parent National Network through the Children's Trust Fund Alliance. And I I believe that my work with the Alliance began uh, almost 10 years ago now. I started out in my community as a volunteer and was vetted and approved for a larger uh, birth parent advisory committee through the Casey Family Programs. And, you know, since that time, I've utilized my platform to uh, advocate for authentic relationships between foster parents and birth parents, and also authentic relationships between systems and parents and constituents at large. Uh, the platform, again, which I, I utilize is race equity, uh, protective factors, and just authenticity. How might we begin to bring humanity back into human services? Uh, so that's it in a nutshell. And I'm also a proud father of a, a beautiful 11 year old boy. Brilliant. Fantastic. And I'm Gloria Torma, and I'm so thankful to be here today. Thank you, Tidewater Friends of Foster Care. I am a foster adoptive parent, mom to four fun littles. Um, I'm a licensed social worker in child welfare in the state of Nevada, and also um, (laughs) and national co-chair for the birth and foster parent partnership through the Alliance as well. That's incredible. Uh, Thank you both for being here with us. I know there's a wealth of information um, that we can provide our audience today. So first, can you explain a little bit about the mission of the um, Children's Trust Fund Alliance? How how did it start? What what are the long-term goals? Well, I guess I'll start and maybe Gloria, if I, if I leave something out, you can definitely chime in. I mean, there's so much that it will take up about half the day. You know, my work with Teresa Raphael and, and Meryl Levine with the Alliance, uh, I, I've learned that their mission is really to support an environment uh, of supporting parents, right? A culture of support through the lens of primary prevention. And as we know in child welfare, uh, that definition uh, varies. So uh, child welfare's definition of prevention is typically preventing kids from entering foster care, while the Alliance is a member organization of multiple children trust funds around the state. uh, They view things from a public health approach. How might we prevent things from happening in the first place through the uh, lens of a socio-ecological model where uh, the Alliance's uh, foundation, I feel, is that uh, a child is not in isolation, uh, they reside or 
uh, thrive within a context of a parent, that parent or caregiver within a context of a greater community, and that community within a context of a greater society? And how might we all work together to ensure that we're meeting needs of families uh, before uh, a need becomes a crisis or um, higher risk for, for families. Uh, through that work, the Alliance has also been uh, integral in creating uh, platforms and opportunity for uh, national policy changes when it comes to uh, on-the-ground preventative services for communities. Uh, in a nutshell, you know, one organization that I see you know, maybe small in size, but mighty in reach, uh, a lot of influence. And, you know, to, to say that they value the voice of constituents and everything that they have produced or uh, replicated or, or, or sort of, you know, implemented, I should say, in community has done, has been done through the experiences of those who are most impacted by our larger systems um, approaches. Incredible. And, and so I know we talked with um, Marky Hunt um, earlier from Casey Family Programs and one of the big initiatives, I mean, of, of course, when a child enters foster care, their family is in crisis, right? And, and I think a lot of people believe that they're coming to the realm of foster care to help children, but it's really families helping families. So can you tell us um, a little bit more about the um, birth and foster family, sorry, birth and foster parent partnership and how that really is families helping families? Well, I think the prevention piece that Corey touched upon is crucial. And ideally we wanna prevent children from entering foster care but the work that we're able to do in systems changes when children do enter foster care, I think is huge. It's so important. The goal of foster care is always reunification, reunification with their family of origin. So educating foster parents, educating the community on how to better work with the families of origin to return these kids safely and help, help families not just say, here's your checklist of all the things that you need to do to reunify with your children and for it to be successful, but actually doing life with people. Here's, here's the structure, here's the routine, here's what your child is responding to, here's what they're not, and really just that co-parenting piece, getting beyond the myths of children who enter foster care come from parents who horrifically abuse them and just don't care, doing a lot of myth busting around that about the more accurate reasons a lot of children enter foster care. So can, can you speak to some of those accurate reasons? Sure. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have the data in front of me, but just speaking from experience, I think a lot of people in the community automatically assume that if a child has entered foster care, that they experience some sort of horrific abuse, when in reality, at least in my state, most children enter foster care due to neglect for a variety of other reasons. Maybe there's, um, there's just economic issues, and then it becomes an open neglect case unaddressed mental health, uh, domestic violence, a lot of things that, of course, impact the child and their development and their safety, but it's not as extreme as people believe it to be that these children were actually harmed by their parents as much as their parents just didn't have the tools and the skills and the resources and support to safely do what needed to be done. 
Right. And all those things are very remediable, right? We, we can wrap services around a family and remedy the situation. Um, and I guess at some point, you know, the court system has uh, deemed that while the family is going through those remedies and the wrap services, that it's not an appropriate place for a child to be. And so they're put into foster care with another family. Now let's talk about the importance of that connection back to family of origin in the health of a child. Well, I'll definitely chime in there. If I may just touch back on the first question for for just a second, uh, you know, Gloria uh, elevated the, the fact that many children are in care uh, for neglect. I, I feel that often uh, our systems uh, haven't done the best possible job to set foster parents up for success. And, and what I mean by that is uh, foster parents are generalizing for a moment, uh, trained in the belief that poverty sometimes equals neglect. We know that there's a correlation there, uh, but it's also not causation. So when we see that uh, any given year, the numbers fluctuate from 85 to 83 to sometimes 90% of our kids in care today are in care for neglect. Now, there's, there's not a lot of policy around what neglect looks like. So how might we define neglect if in Minnesota in the wintertime, I come from Florida, my son doesn't go to school with a coat on. Uh, there's a hotline call because multiple times they've seen my little child without a coat, as opposed to coming to dad and say, do you need some support to get your son a coat? We call a hotline uh, a stranger to intervene. Uh, once that intervention uh, is commenced, uh, it's harder for families to get out of the system and much easier to come in. And I think when we look at uh, neglect versus poverty, there are several schools of, of thought. We know that there are lots of variables to why kids are uh, living in poverty, uh, but many of our families uh, are not, you know, the 14% the of kids that are in care for egregious sexual, physical, psychological abuse, uh, not to dismiss any of that trauma, but we have created a system around that 14% and we respond and react to all families the way we react to kids that are experiencing prolonged traumatic experiences in their homes. So when we uh, begin to value as, as, as Gloria mentioned, you know, people doing life together, right? People supporting one another together. I think it, it, it relieves a lot of stress from the foster parent demographic to say, we're coming into this role. We're coming into this community with the notion that we're going to stay connected. We're going to make sure that we minimize all trauma of removal and recognize that even when there are some things that may be a little bit uh, chaotic, but not unsafe in an environment. A child does best with their primary caregiver. And if not, if they can't live in that home, uh, they still require the nurturing from uh, that, that, and that bond with the caregiver. And you mentioned, so I guess that, that takes me to, you know, the importance of 
keeping family together. So I, I look at, you know, as I mentioned, justice is, is a platform and, and I'll simplify uh, what I mean. In, in foster care, it, it reminds me of the justice system to a degree. What I feel we uh, haven't done very well at and have a great opportunity to do is that in, innocent goes in, innocent stays out and guilty goes in. We have children that have been in care for 30 days, right? So uh, why was a child removed and then returned in 30 days? What conditions could have been remedied uh, up front to ensure that we did not disrupt that connection? Uh, the benefits are, are, are so many when it comes to uh, the relationship and the nurturing that has to happen for a child in early development. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of the serve and return. Uh, so when, when a child receives uh, the nurturing and the care of their primary caregiver, their brain develops at a much higher rate than other children. And we see that unfortunately 23,000 kids age out of our systems annually. And it's unfortunate that we really don't have uh, a tracker on where they are today. Uh, so how might we do better by maintaining uh, family connections uh, by any means necessary? And that's inclusive of the foster care uh, population being a part of that village, because the more developmental assets that my child has, the better off he'll be uh, in life, as opposed to it being uh, a new family or a replacement family. How can foster parents and birth parents really create this network to become uh, a shared family, right? Mm -hmm. A blended family of sorts. Uh, that's the mantra. And I think that that's what love would do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And one of the things that I really grabbed from that as you were speaking is the shift from being a savior into being a supporter, because it really is so much more about the community coming together than just one person doing something um, for the child. Um, I was wondering, so we so many times, you know, when we're talking about the stats, I think people become afraid <laughs> um, and kind of almost freeze up in the process of even considering becoming a foster parent. And I would love to hear a little bit um, from both of you, maybe like a, just a snippet of like a small personal story um, where you've seen success through um, the different things that you're working on in the foster community. Um, <laughs> wow, I could tell you a hundred great stories, but in the interest of that. time, <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite personal stories is um, a little baby that we had fostered, and immediately I just felt super connected with her mom, and we developed this great friendship, and it never felt like birth parent, foster parent. It felt so collaborative. She embraced my children we ended up connected with the paternal grandparents, with the dad. As the case went on, it truly just became two sets of families that were doing life together. And when the child reunified, and it's been almost three years now since her reunification and the family's doing great. Her father and my husband work together. It is still truly just doing life. But one of the things that always stands out to me is I feel like when we talk about birth parent and foster parent relationships, we often elevate what the foster parents bring to the table 
in the relationship with the birth parents. But I just feel like it's so important to point out the equality in what both people get because this woman has become one of my dearest friends and a huge support. When my youngest son was in the hospital, she was one of the first people to reach out and ask what she could do for my other children. And that's huge. It, it can't just be as the foster parent, here's what we do to make these great successes happen. It takes all of us and recognizing the great things that each party brings to the table for the success of the family, for the child, for everybody. You know, I, I too have a, a wonderful story. And, you know, you, you think about, uh, you know, Gloria, your point of that there's a, there's a mutual deposit there, right? So we, we input and we withdraw something from uh, healthy relationships. Uh, I facilitate a, a support group uh, in, in Florida and we invite the general community, but primarily it's families who are experiencing the child welfare system because there's a level of stereotype threat there. There's a level of, you know, diminished esteem. And, you know, just imagine what it feels like to be sort of given the message that you're a bad parent and we're going to place your beautiful child with a better family, right? That's sort of the, the mentality. But we have this uh, couple that are adoptive and foster parents and they're not biological parents themselves. So they were kind of, you know, they felt a little funny coming to a parenting group with, with moms and dads who were going through the child welfare system. And it was unbelievable how uh, they began to open up, begin to share and to begin to, to really acknowledge that they actually learned how to parent other people's kids from parents who had gone through the child welfare system. So the group became sort of their support system and they recognized uh, from the group that one way of explaining when foster parents don't have children is to say that we've all come from a family so I know what love feels like, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what he took from a group of parents who uh, one day were in uh, crises and worse situations, but people never lost hope and they believed that the outcome was, was possible. So that was, that, that's always a heartwarming story uh, to talk about. I love that. That's so interesting too, just taking yourself out of it and stop worrying about being a parent for a minute because we've all been children and we've right. all been through the experience of growing right. up before right. and kind of put ourselves in those shoes of, okay, what did I need as a child? And then how can I create that yeah. here? Amazing. Um, so for people who are watching this and want to know more about the Children's Trust Fund Alliance, where should they go? What's a good next step to learn more? Well, I, I would say first step would be to go to ctfalliance.org. Uh, once there, and this is a shameless plug, but once there, uh, join the Birth Parent National Network. It is a, a network uh, that's comprised of birth, foster, systems leaders, providers, nonprofits, all in the, the journey, I would say, because it's not a fight. We don't want to fight. We want to create a system that obsoletes the old, right? That's basically what we want to do. We want to build something new. And I think we have a great opportunity when we see more uh, foster and adoptive parents that are a part of a larger network of in influencers. Uh, so when you get to ctfalliance.org, uh, it's a free membership. You'll get wonderful email and access to a multitude of shareable 
resources that are infused from uh, birth, foster, and other constituent perspectives. Uh, the Alliance also has uh, online protective factors training that I think is amazing for uh, foster parents, uh, especially now that we're sort of in isolation, take time to, to manage, you know, what we're putting into our bodies and our minds and the protective factors is, is the foundation in which we build this or create this culture of support. Uh, those are just a few, but it's a, it, it's a great resource and I would encourage everyone uh, to check out not only the policy statements from the birth and parent, foster parent partnership, but also the strategies matrix. Uh, we have some great tools there to talk about how we build relationships. There's a relationship guide that's coming down soon uh, to, to give tangible steps on how birth and foster parents can actually do this life together. That, you know, we can do away with one day uh, foster parents front door, birth parents back door, never coexist. And we recognize that there's no policies to support that behavior anyway, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a myth. It, we've made that myth real. So we can, we can dispel that. And I know Gloria has a few more. I feel like you pretty well covered it. Um, I do think that the different trainings that we offer, I feel is a really great place to start and giving people the opportunity, all of the tools, all of the trainings we use, they're not secret. Everybody who participates in these trainings or wants to use these tools can take them back to their jurisdictions and start trying to advocate for systems change. And I think too, what's so great about it is the support. So many people with so many different perspectives come to the table discussing how we would implement these tools, how we look at change. And it's really just a great thing to be a part of for anybody who's interested. Amazing. Fantastic. I, I so appreciate you all sharing again in a very short period of time, this amazing wealth uh, of knowledge that you have and, and those very important resources for our foster families. Because uh, as a foster parent, I know we did not get trained in how to really facilitate those relationships. And, and they're the key to everything. It, without relationship, no one moves forward, no one heals. So um, much, much appreciate your time and, and valued input and resources today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. And a big thank you for listening. Foster Care Aware is all about spreading the word about how we can help the kids who are in care in whatever capacity works for you. Tidewater Friends of Foster Care is here to help support you through the journey. Whether you want to be a foster parent, volunteer, donor, or advocate, head on over to fostercareaware.org slash next steps to learn more.